Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's listen to this week's message. Amen. Amen. Nightwatch, good to see all of you. Frederick Campus, want to welcome you joining us live. And it's good to have everybody online too. And it's good to see all you guys. I, I've honestly been out the last three weeks. And uh, some of you have even asked. Some people have texted and some people have asked other staff members like, man, Sean's been out, hadn't preached for three weeks. What's, uh, is everything all right? And hey, everything's great. I took my wife to Florida. That's what happened. So um, not the entire time. She wishes it was all three weeks, but uh, it was actually Matt and I go every other week. And so the week I was supposed to be preaching, um, I just asked him, I said, man, I'm taking Jen on a trip. Would you, uh, would you take that one for me? And guys, that guy, can we give a hand to that guy? He has killed it in this series and been so vulnerable. And I believe that his vulnerability has allowed other people to be vulnerable and work through a few things in this Your Past is Showing series. So Matt, thanks for that. And uh, excited to wrap that up today and uh, and land the plane on it, talking a little bit about forgiveness, which is a hard topic. But before we get there, I want to clarify one thing. We just came out of a series called Grit. We did a Grit 52 challenge. And some of you have got the card and you've just chosen three things you've been working on and and working on some physical stuff, some spiritual stuff, some spiritual uh, personal development things, developing some habits. And here's been the big question. We said, if you fill out your card, check off all three things every day for 52 days, you'll get a t-shirt. And some people have been like, man, I messed up. I got sick. Reality was I got sick a couple weeks ago and I missed four days. So I'm not on day 49. I'm actually on day 45. All right. But I'm back in the saddle. I'm going. Some people have been like, do I get a t-shirt if I missed a day and I don't do it consecutively? No, 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 no. Here's what we gave you from January 15th till April 2nd. That's more than 52 days. That's a lot more than 52 days. We're saying if you bring that card back and you filled it all out and you've checked off all three things, got to be all three things, because if you bring it back and you're like, well, I got one check mark on every day, I'm not giving you half a t-shirt because you're half done. Like we don't want any crop tops around this place, right? That's the deal. Okay. So all you've got to do is bring that card to us before April 2nd with all 52 days, all the check marks on there doesn't have to be connected, uh, consecutive, and we'll give you a t-shirt, all right? Okay, now we got that clarified. John chapter five, I want you to get there. And uh, we've been talking about this series, your past is showing. And Matt's really done a great job, just kind of, just unearthing this idea that if we leave pain unresolved in our past, it will show up in our present and will affect the relationships that we have in our present. Even if the people that we're related to now, we're connected with now, weren't even involved in the pain from our past. It just has a tendency to come out. Unresolved pain surfaces in unhealthy ways. When I was a freshman in college, I've told this story before, but um, I, I I had an eye injury. And so it, it happened, I was getting ready to play basketball. I made the team that year. And so I was excited about that, walking in. We were getting ready to come into um, the season starting and practice was starting the next day. And we looked at my buddies and I was like, guys, this is our last time to go out and play some pickup ball. Let's go down to the gym and play. So we go down to the gym and we played this game that we never should have played. Um, if you know basketball, you know the game 21. And 21 is basically this, it's one on two. Right, so one offensive player on two defensive players. You usually play with three people. Well, we had six. And so what we did is whoever gets a rebound, uh, whoever gets a steal is on offense, and you're playing against everybody else. 
And that is a stupid game to play with six guys. And so I got the ball, and there was a couple of us that were getting up there high in points. We're trying to win the game. It's about game point. I drive to the bucket, and I go up, and there's this one dude who wasn't even on our basketball team. He's a football player dude that comes in, and he's like, you are not going to score. And he just reaches back and full arm swings at my face, and he's just going to take me out and not let me score. The problem was is as he swung, his finger went into my eye. And when his finger went into my eye, it hit my eye, put a massive amount of pressure, but then it slipped upward and it went in between my eyeball and up in between my eye socket. I mean, this guy didn't poke me in the eye. It was like he poked my brain. I mean, it was, it was massive and it hurt. My mom went down, it was immediately blood, big old blood blister and it started swelling, this massive black eye and, uh, and it hurt and it scratched my eye. So I, I, I couldn't finish the game, the guys finished, but I came into practice the next day and I'm like, dude, I'm playing. I'm a freshman, I'm getting out there, I did what every guy does, I'm just like, we're getting in there and we're gonna play. And so I practiced for the next month and it took about a week for the scratch to kind of heal and I just pushed through it and then it took a couple weeks for the black eye to heal, but I thought I was good. And so I'm doing fine and I'm sitting in class about four or five weeks later. It's a few days before our first game and I'm looking, I've been having some trouble seeing and trying to focus, my right eye struggling. And I, I, I looked and I was like, I, closed, I put my hand over my left eye and I looked at my professor and I looked at what he was projecting on the screen with one of those things like, remember those overhead projectors? I'm dating myself, young people, you just Google it, you find out what it is. But I put my hand over my eye and I look and I, cannot, I can only see my professor's waist down. Like his body is gone, the entire projection is gone. I can't see him like, Good grief, what is going on? So I go to the eye doctor. I'm like, doc, here's the deal. I got a game in three days. Um, I need contacts or glasses fast. He says, well, let's dilate your eye and let's see. He looks inside my eye. He's like, you don't need contacts. You don't need glasses. You need surgery. I'm like, surgery? I got a game. Can this surgery wait? What's the deal? He's like, no. And I, they rushed me to Springfield, Missouri. The next day, I had eye surgery because my retina had torn 50% off the back of my eye. You see, with your eye, what happens is when something pressure comes in the middle of your eye, what it does is it pushes in and it puts the pressure all expands out to the edges of your eye. And so what happened to the edge of my retina is when he poked me in the eye, it put the pressure on that outside and it just popped a tiny little tear. Probably like 5% small that could have been dealt with could have gone, could have got surgery, could have, could have done some a small surgery. I probably would have been back halfway through the season, but I left it. And I practiced, and when I practiced and I played and I did all that activity as a young guy, it was like the fluid inside my eyeball was like a washing machine. It's just moving, and it was catching that tear, and it was pushing that tear and pushing it and pushing it, and it pushed it over 50% off the back of my eye. And the reality was this. Pain, physical pain left unaddressed left all kinds of damage that I still deal with today. Took away my whole freshman season of basketball. Here's the interesting thing. Emotional pain, emotional injuries in our life are just like physical pain. Actually, scientists and doctors are understanding, psychologists are understanding this, they're doing studies on our brains, and they're realizing, what they're realizing is that our brain actually processes emotional trauma just like it processes physical trauma. So just like the first week, Matt talked about his finger that broke when he was playing basketball, and it snapped in half, and he showed that, that x-ray that made us all go, ugh. 
He talked about how when he goes to open a door, what does he do now? He opens it with his left hand because he's afraid that door's gonna open it. See, his brain has processed that trauma. The problem is with emotional pain that's left unaddressed in relationships or abuse or difficulty or things that we need to forgive, what our brain does is it processes it the same way as it processes physical trauma. So the way we recoil physically we begin to recoil emotionally. And what has a tendency to happen in our lives is because that emotional injury that looks healed on the outside stills hurting on the inside, it begins to come out on the other people around us. Even if the people in our relationships were not involved in that pain in the past. And the only healing, you talk to psychologists, you talk to counselors, you talk to... The only healing that has to happen, the healing that has to happen in those situations is we have to address it just like we have to address physical pain. And so much of the time, what I find when I meet with people, when I connect with people, when I talk with people, is the pain that really needs to be addressed, the process that needs to happen is the process of forgiveness. But the problem with forgiveness is what you have to do is you have to dig up some of that pain. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to jump into the pain to have to work through it and deal with it. So we recoil back from it and we say things like this, I'm good. Man, I'm fine. Like life happens, man. Life happens, I get it, I've moved on. It's their loss. Like I, I, just, I just am mature enough to know that, that stuff happens in life and you just have to work through it. You just have to move on. And we cover up in all those things. We're trying to be strong. We're trying to be tough. And what we're really doing is we're just saying, I don't understand this. I don't understand why that person did this to me. I don't understand why God allowed this to happen. I don't understand this pain that I've got. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say this stuff and I'm going to ignore it. And what Christians do is we spiritualize it. Like some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know if I buy into this Christian things because Christians do some weird things. Well, we do. And here's one of the weird things we do. We spiritualize our pain. We say things like, well, Romans 8, 38, or Romans 8 says this. It says, uh, it says man, all th- God works all things for the good. Or we say, you know, God's, God's told us to, co- we've got to forgive. God, God commanded us to forgive. Jesus forgave us. So, so I've just forgiven and I've just moved on. Or God's just going to take all this and he's going to make it all right. And you know what? There is nothing wrong with any of those statements. Every one of those statements is true. But here's the deal. Most of the time, because we've not addressed the pain that deals with the person that hurt us, or the situation that happened to us, when we don't address that, what happens is we have a tendency just to cover it up. And we have to a tendency to run from pain because we weren't created to experience pain. You guys understand that? God does not want you to experience the pain you've run into. He didn't create this world to experience pain. Pain came in with sin. And what did Adam and Eve do when they sinned and pain kind of ran into them? They hid. And we just have this tendency to try to hide. Lisa Turkhurst writes a book that I would really encourage you to get. If any of the stuff we talk about today gets you, I would encourage you to get this book. It's, it's called Forgiving What We Can't Forget. And I'll be honest, as much of the ideas in this message, you just need to know, credit goes to her because it's phenomenal. But she says this about unaddressed pain and ignored pain. Here's what she says. She says, we can only heal what we're willing to acknowledge is real. 
We can only heal something if we acknowledge that the pain is there, that it actually happened to us. And it wasn't right. We didn't deserve it, but it happened, and it's real, and we've got to acknowledge it so we can actually deal it. You can't manage feelings that you don't own, and if we don't deal with what's real from our past, it'll keep showing up and getting all over the people around us in our present. John chapter 5. It's interesting. Let me give you a little bit of background, understanding of the book of John. It's, it's an eyewitness account. So John walked with Jesus. He was one of the closest three disciples with Jesus. He was Jesus. Jesus even called John. He, John, it's funny. John refers to himself in the book of John as the disciple Jesus loved. Like he just has this relationship with Jesus. It's one of Jesus' inner three within the 12. And he writes this eyewitness account. And here's how he organizes the book. There are seven statements in the book. You may understand this. Some of you may know. If you don't, it's all right. I'll explain it to you. There are seven I am statements. Jesus says, seven different times, he says things like, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. There's seven of those statements where he's saying, here's who I am. Uh, You understand that I am God, but understand this is what God is like. And then what John does is he gives seven miracles. So seven statements that are confirmed by seven different miracles. So he says, here's who I am, and then the miracles are like, this is the proof that he is who he says he is. And so John takes these, these miracles. There's one in chapter five. It's a man who is, uh, he's lame, so he can't walk. We'll find out in the story, he's 38 years. He's next to this pool, this pool um, and, and Jesus comes and he heals him. What's important to understand about the passage is the man obeys Jesus and his healing is not dependent on anyone else but Jesus and him. John chapter five, starting verse two, says this. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number, it's interesting, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So get the picture in your mind. If it's in today's age, it would be this massive pool. It wasn't probably like the pool that you would go to at the park. We're talking about something that's probably this size. Like it is massive. And all around the outsides are these disabled people, people who couldn't walk, they couldn't move, it even says couldn't see. So in our day and age, it would be lots of wheelchairs, lots of crutches, lots of canes, people who couldn't move, couldn't see. It's kind of a depressing place. Why were they there? They're there because of this. There was a legend. And the legend states, states that, um, that there was an angel that would come God, down. God would send an angel down, and he would stir the waters. And all the people are like on the edge. They're just waiting. And as soon as they begin to see the water stir, whoever jumps in, rolls in, gets pushed in, whatever it is, gets healed. And so you have hundreds And hundreds of disabled people that are just gathered around the outside, just waiting and watching. Verse 5, it says, one who was there, so one man that Jesus notices, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned, I love this, Jesus is asking the stories of the different people. You need to know that, that he cares about your story. And he picks out this one man. He says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? And what a great question. 
like pretty obvious question. I think every person around there, how would you answer that? You're sitting there, you're a disabled person, you're sitting there and you're around, you're like, that's why you're there. Jesus says to you, hey, do you want to get well? The answer is obvious. This guy's been there for 38 years, or at least he's been disabled for 38 years. Jesus knows his story. The guy's answer should be, yes, Jesus, yes, I want to get well, but that's not his answer. It goes on to verse seven. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Did you catch what's happening? Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And the man immediately goes to this, somebody else. Like nobody else is helping me in. Somebody else is jumping in and for me. No, but somebody else is not doing what they're supposed to do so that I can be healed. And here's the thing. What this guy's in danger of missing because he's so concerned what everybody else isn't doing or should do or, or hasn't done or has done. He's in danger of missing what Jesus wants to do for him right there. And man, can I just be honest with you? And can I say it compassionately because it can be hurtful? Can I just say that this is what we do a lot? Jesus is standing right here and he's saying, do you want to get well? And because somebody hasn't participated in our healing, somebody hasn't done what they're supposed to do, somebody has done something to us and they've not acknowledged it, they've never come around and said, hey, I'm sorry, you're just waiting. And what we are in danger of doing we're in danger of focusing so much on what everybody else has done or what they haven't done that we're in danger of missing what Jesus could do right now for us. And can I just say it compassionately? Some of us, we are living in a prison of our own past because we're so concerned about everybody else. And let me just say this, that for some of you, the hurt and the pain and the difficulty is so deep and is so real and it is valid it is valid. Like you need to be validated in that. That thing should have never happened. That person should not have done that. It's real. But what Jesus is saying to this guy, do you want to get well? What he's getting ready to say is he's getting ready to say, your healing's not contingent about what anybody else does. It's only contingent on what you You see, we do that. We say things like, but Sean, hey, you don't know this person. You don't know my mom. You don't know my dad. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know this situation. You don't know this circumstance. You're right, I don't. I don't. But I'm telling you, Jesus does. And what we're in danger of missing is what he wants to do for us. There's a lot of us that haven't been paralyzed physically, but we've been paralyzed emotionally because we're waiting for somebody else to make it right. Brant Hansen says this, he writes a book called Unoffendable, also an excellent book, and he says, holding on to an offense never hurts your offender, because that's what we want to do. We want them to pay, we want them to acknowledge, we want justice for what happened to us. He says, holding on to an offense never hurts your offender, it only lets them keep hurting you. And did you notice in the passage that Jesus doesn't even, 
He doesn't even acknowledge anybody else. He just says, do you want to get well? Jesus didn't turn around. He didn't listen to the guy and what he said. He said, man, somebody else gets in front of me and nobody else is helping me. And Jesus didn't turn around and say, what's wrong with you people? Like, why isn't somebody helping this guy in the pool? And guys, why don't we just make a line and everybody wait their turn? Jesus didn't do that. In verse 8, he says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. I think it's important for us to understand that what Jesus was saying in this passage is this man's healing didn't involve anyone else but the man and Jesus. I think what we have to catch and what we have to understand is some of us are so focused on what someone's done to you that you're missing what Jesus wants to do for you. And maybe it's not even what someone's done to you. Some of you are so focused on what someone hasn't done. What someone didn't do to protect or didn't do to show up or didn't do to apologize what someone hasn't done that we're about to miss what Jesus wants to do for us right now. Can I just say it again? How long? Say it compassionately because the pain's real. How long are we just going to allow ourselves to be a prisoner of our past? Your healing isn't contingent on anyone else. You can experience healing without that person ever acknowledging they've done anything wrong. You can experience healing by forgiving someone who never even acknowledges that they need to be forgiven. You see, you can experience healing if you're willing to lean in to what Jesus has already done for you. Lisa Turkers in a book, she, she writes this, again, forgiving what you can't forget. I would encourage you to get this book. It even just lays out just a healing process. But she talks about her own pain, and it just captured me in this one quote. She said, for me to move forward, she's talking about her own pain. For me to move forward, for me to see beyond this current darkness, let me tell you her darkness. She talks in her book about being abused sexually as a kid. Her mom would go to work. She was a single mom. Dad had left. That's another pain. Dad had left. He had come back. He'd left again. She would be left taking care of her sister. Mom would leave and go to work, and she would leave the neighbor next door, not babysitting, but in charge. And he took advantage of that situation and abused her sexually for a few years. She tells that story. She talks about her current darkness being in the midst of writing this book. It was in the aftermath of her husband having an affair on her. She goes on, she says, for me to move forward, for me to see beyond this current darkness is between me and the Lord. I don't need to wait for others to do anything, to do anything or place blame or shame that won't do anyone any good. I must simply obey whatever God is asking me to do right now. God has given me a new way to walk and God has given me a new way to see and it's forgiveness. What's incredibly heartbreaking about that quote so I read this book, you get done, you finish, and you realize in the story, this book was written quite a few years ago. She talks about in the book her reconciliation with her husband, the healing that came in, the love that came back, all of that, and the aftermath of writing this book, he did it again. And she writes another book about good, good boundaries and goodbyes, 
is the title of it. And she talks about the idea of some of us, we have experienced mistakes. Some of, you, some of us, people have done mistakes against us that have been really hurtful. And we've had to forgive that. But some of us have seen things like Lisa where it steps back in. It wasn't just one mistake or two mistakes. It was a pattern of unhealthy behavior and unhealthy decision making that broke relationships and led to their divorce. And I think you've got to stand back and you've got to just say, what are those areas in me, whether they're mistakes or whether they're patterns of somebody else that just caused some pain? For some of you, you're saying, Sean, I hate that you're talking about this right now because it's bringing up stuff that is deeply painful for me. But let me just remind you that you've got a Savior that stands there and says, hey, do you want to get well? Do, do you want to start this process? Do you want to work through? Because here's the thing, your healing's not contingent on that person or that circumstance being fixed or, fixed or that circumstance being addressed. Your healing and the ability to actually forgive has nothing, nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. And I want you to think about that for a second because it is true. You go to counseling, you start working through this process. It's not you and your offender sitting there working it out. It's usually you and the counselor. It's just you and them. And you're sitting there and unearthing the feelings and talking through the stuff. You see, it's more about us and our willingness to lean into what what Jesus wants to do in us, that process of forgiveness, than it actually is about them. And I think what we need to understand about forgiveness is it's both a decision and a process, Lisa Turkers talks about this idea, how you can forgive the facts of what's happened, but what do you do when your feelings won't follow? You can forgive the facts of what happened to you and what that person did, but what happens when your feelings are still, they just won't go to some of those places that you need to go to in the process, and that's what it is. Forgiveness is the decision to forgive the facts and the process of working through the feelings, and to be honest, we need help with that. We need help with that. And we need to understand that forgiveness, as we work through this process, Turker said it can't be conditional. Forgiveness that is offered in this process, it can't be conditional. It can't be conditional on them wanting our forgiveness. Because half the time they're dealing with brokenness and they can't acknowledge it. It can't be conditional on life being fair because forgiveness never is. It can't be conditional on the other person receiving adequate punishment. The only condition needed is the willingness to place the issue in Jesus' hands and to begin working through the miracle that he can do in us, the process of forgiveness. Some of you are like, man, that's impossible. What does that look like? And what does that end up in? Colossians 3 verse 13 says, forgive as quickly and as completely as the master forgave you. And you're like, seriously, how do you even do that? Understand this, if you're saying, man, forgiveness seems impossible, Sean, you don't understand, and you got all those things running through your mind, then you're misunderstanding, I'm, or I'm not explaining well enough, you're misunderstanding what Jesus actually wants to do for you. Jesus isn't saying, like, everything's got to be all good, and you got to be bros with this person anymore. This has got to be all brought back together. It's gotta, we got to talk to this person. we got to work this thing out. None of that. 
You see, we have this tendency to really believe that the issue of forgiveness is dependent on us. It's something hard we do, and it is hard. It's something we gotta grit our teeth and just kind of flex our muscle, just push through and, and ignore what happened to us. No, that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. You see, what's interesting about forgiveness is we think forgiveness is something hard we do. Forgiveness was something hard that Jesus won for us. It was something that wasn't optional, something that Jesus went to the cross and he won for us. And it's not something we make happen. It is something that we participate in. It's a miracle that he does in us that we participate in because what we've already received. That's why Paul can say in Colossians, forgive as completely and as quickly as God has forgiven us. The reality is it's not quick. It's not quick. Les Brown says this, forgiveness isn't forgetting, it's remembering without anger. I love that. It's remembering without anger. It means that there will come a place if we are willing to place this in Jesus' hands to go through the process, whether that's counseling, working through a book like we're talking through, whatever it is, but addressing those deep internal hurts that haven't been addressed that are coming out, we can actually make it to a point where we can remember the hurts without anger. Without hatred, without self-loathing, without all those emotions that you felt. We can remember. It means that when you see that person or you think of that thing, it's not like we're thinking about driving over them with a dump truck, putting it in reverse, driving back over them, then doing it again. It's, we can get to the place where we can say, hey, I can remember without anger. There's a good friend of mine. He says this, man, forgiveness is when we know we can actually say I wish you well. Wow. You say, how do you do that? Lisa Turkhurst tells a story of going to her counselor. We've all got some of these things. I want you to just kind of put yourself in the spot of the story. And she talks about going to her counselor, and she looks at her counselor, and she just starts unveiling. They work through this process of her talking about her abuse, her talking about her father leaving and, 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 and her husband and, and the affair that happened and all these different things. And the counselor begins to work through with her, but they finally get to this point. And the counselor takes three by five cards and he sets a whole stack in front of her. He says, Lisa, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to take this week between now and our next session. And I just want you to take these cards and I want you to write out the offenses. And I don't want you to take one card and say, my husband had an affair on me. I want you to write out the offenses that art did to you. The multiple things that you just hold in your heart that you're just struggling with. I want you to write out the offenses that happen with your neighbor and the things that, with your mom and just even simple things that Lisa talks about in the book about with teenagers being teenagers and just things that she's carried from some of those situations. And I want you to write them out. And so she did it. She said it was painful. She went home and she just wrote all those things out and she said she thought it would be 15 or 20 cards. She came back and the counselor said, Lisa, I want you to lay those cards out. And she said, guys, it was like a roadmap snaked all over the office. He said, I want you to do this. And he handed her a stack of these red felt pieces of fabric that were bigger than the three, five, three by five cards. He said, Lisa, take these. He said, what are these for? He said, I want you to go around. I just want you to, to say out loud every single one of these offenses, and I want you to forgive that person. I want you to say, I want you to make the decision. We still got feelings to work through, but I want you to make the decision 
to forgive that person. And she said, but what are the felt pieces for? He said, Lisa, here's the thing. There are places that your feelings won't go yet. As a Christian counselor, he said, Lisa, you say them out loud, you forgive them, and then you take a felt piece that represents the blood of Jesus, and you place it over that card. And Lisa, here's the thing. You can forgive the facts of what happened to you, and what you can do is allow Jesus' blood to cover the places that your feelings won't go yet. She said, it's a process. And Lisa talked about how she went around with all of those cars, and every single one of them said, I forgive you for this. And she put one on there. And some of them, it was easy. It's no big deal. It's like, man, that's a long time ago. But then there were some that were so hard. And it was so good, she said, to put that piece over and just to know that Jesus is in this with me and this is a miracle that he has to do that I can't do on my own. You see, the question is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And no matter what's happened to us and no matter what that internal pain is in our life, no matter who it's associated with and the places that we're like, my feelings can't even go there yet. That's understandable. And it's so good to know that Jesus is asking your story. He knows your story. And he's just standing there and he's going, hey, here's the deal. I'm ready and willing to go with you into this process when you're willing to make the decision to start. He's just saying, do you want to get well? He says, I got a process for you. He's asking us to jump in, and what he's saying to you and me is he's saying our healing and our forgiving of other people is not contingent on anybody else doing anything or not doing anything. It's only contingent on our willingness to lean into the miracle that Jesus has done for us and what he wants to do for us. So he's just saying, do you want to get well? It's your choice and my choice. And here's the thing. If you choose to say yes, you will be giving up something. You'll be taking that pain from the past, that person, whatever, and what you will be giving up is you will be giving up the right to demand that they pay for what they did. You'll be giving up the right to demand that they experience the same kind of pain that you experience. You'll be giving up the right to demand that they get justice, and what you do is you're gonna be handing justice over to God even though... You may not ever ever even see him carry out that justice. But what you get is so much more. What you get is you get the lock on that prison opened. And you get the opportunity, you get the miracle of freedom, and you get to walk out saying, man, there's a whole lot of feelings that go along with this, and I'm working through this. But eventually, we get the process that Jesus works through with us, that we get freedom. And guys, I'm telling you this that I think the most beautiful picture representing the gospel in our world today, man, it is absolutely the giving and receiving of forgiveness. Man, you've seen it before. Like you've watched those courtroom scenes where you see a father get up there and they have the opportunity to respond to what happened, say it's manslaughter, it's drunk driving, whatever. And you've seen a father and mother get up there and read a letter and talk about their pain, but then look at that person who took the life of their son or daughter and say, I forgive you. That's a miracle right there. That's a miracle. And what Jesus wants to say is it's a whole lot better to work through that process and give up that pain than to live with it and just let it do damage for the rest of your life. 
See, I had surgery on that eye, and I still deal with some of the things. But man, it's a whole lot better than it was. I got contacts, I got glasses, it takes care of all of that. And what Jesus wants to do in you is he's just saying, do you want to get well? When do you want to start? Let's start doing some surgery. Let's fix this issue, and you can be well. Here's what I want to do. I don't want to leave you without the opportunity to know some next steps. And so I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come up, and they're just going to remind you of a couple things that are maybe some steps in the process that would really help you with not just this, but our entire series. Talking about just unpacking our past so we can relieve some of that pain and live healthy relationships with the people we're connected with. So let me pray before you. Father, we just want to come before you right now, and I just want to pray for some people. Father, I want to lift up the person who may be on the other side of everything we've talked about, And they're sitting there saying, I don't even know how I forgive God. Uh, Father, I just want to pray that you would just help them trust and know and believe that the freedom that they can receive from the miracle you want to do is so much better than what they're holding on to now. Nobody else is being punished more than them. And so, Father, I pray that they would step in, trust, and begin the decision, make the decision to say, yes, I'm going to start this forgiveness process. And Father, I pray for the person on the other side of that, maybe sitting there hurting because they know they've hurt other people and they need to be forgiven, and it's not being given to them. Pride doesn't even deserve to give to them. Father, I pray that they will just look at you and know that the gospel is about grace. Jesus, you hung on that cross and you looked at the person hanging next to you who was a murderer, and you said, today you will be with me in paradise. They need to place their faith in you and allow you to forgive, and I pray that person will know they can be forgiven. And Father, I want to pray for the person who's never actually received your forgiveness, because I don't even know how you do this miracle work of forgiveness if we don't have you helping with it. So Father, I pray for the person who's never received forgiveness for their sins. I pray that they will come up to the prayer team, they will talk to their small group leader, they will talk to a pastor, somebody, and say, I want to accept Christ as my Savior forgiven so that I can do this work that you want to do with me. So God, we thank you for Jesus. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, by his blood that covers everything that we just don't even want to feel. Father, do a work in us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.